welcome to Dialogue Gospel Study. We'll be pondering Mormon 1 through 6 with our guest instructor, Dr. Louise Wheeler. I'm Rebecca Deschweinitz, and along with fellow Dialogue Foundation board members, uh, Chris Kimball and Michael Austin, who are on standby for technical issues and our discussion, uh, we're happy to welcome you all today. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, please know that all of our previous lessons are available as podcasts or videos and linked at dialoguejournal.com, where you can also find the entire 50 plus years of the journal. Dr. Wheeler's lesson will be added to those by the end of the day. If you have enjoyed having free, easy access to more than five decades of fabulous dialogue, scholarship, art, fiction, and personal voices, and if you love, as I do, these gospel study lessons and are excited about the monthly fireside series we just started, we invite you to make a contribution in support of the mission and ongoing work of Dialogue. Go to the subscribe and donate link on dialoguejournal.com or use the number that we'll provide in the chat. Those with us live on Zoom are welcome to post respectful and relevant comments and questions in the chat. I will also try to keep track of what folks have to say on Facebook. We look forward to integrating some of your thoughts into today's lesson. We are thrilled to have Louise Wheeler teaching us today. Dr. Wheeler is an assistant clinical professor and assistant director of diversity and inclusion at the BYU Counseling and Psychological Services. Born and raised in France, where she also completed her undergraduate degree in psychology, Dr. Wheeler obtained a PhD in clinical psychology at BYU in 2017. Her clinical and academic work focuses on trauma, gender, and race. Dr. Wheeler teaches a multicultural counseling course to graduate students and has also recently taught group psychotherapy and women's issues in career exploration courses. Dialogue is committed to providing a space for the expression of diverse perspectives and for some of the faith's most vibrant thinking. We're grateful to Louise today for her preparation, perspective, and voice. As is always the case, the views expressed today will be those of the individual teacher and do not necessarily reflect those of the Dialogue Foundation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, BYU, or any other organization. We begin today with music. This is my song. Uh, by Jean Sibelis, uh, sung by the Harvard University Choir. After the music, our opening prayer will be offered by Melody Jackson, a 2019 BYU graduate uh, who served in the Rio de Janeiro mission and is currently a graduate student in American studies at the University of Maryland. Her goal is to study how Afro-Brazilian members in Bahia and this region has the biggest black population in the world besides Nigeria and a significant slave descendant population. Historicize, conceptualize, and enact very American and white Mormonisms. She'll uh, especially be interested in the way that they create material culture and use their bodies to define their spirituality in relation to this whiteness and Americanness. Melody is also a dialogue author. As part of your devotional reading today, we invite you to read or reread Melody's the Black Cane in White Garments in our fall 2018 issue. Her poem, Skin of Garments, which appeared in the spring 2019 issue, and her piece, The Epiphany, featured on our website in January of 2019. Melody is also the founder of Black Lives Matter to Christ, an organization we recognize as founded on eternal principles. 
They're hosting a fireside tonight, which will be live streamed on the Black Lives Matter to Christ Facebook and Instagram pages. It starts at 6.30 p.m. Central Time and will provide a healing space for Black members as they prepare spiritually, mentally, and emotionally for the 2020 election and explore their experiences as Black Latter-day Saints. Our dear Heavenly Parents, we are grateful for this day. We are grateful for every opportunity that we have to meet um, as a community, um, as saints, as family in Christ. We are grateful for our Savior Jesus Christ and the hope that we find through the atonement and through um, our scriptures and through those around us. We ask that as we hear Luis's lesson that we may be edified, that we may find answers to prayers, that we may find revelation, um, that she may be guided by the spirit to say what is necessary for us in this very particular time. We ask that we may be mindful of others, mindful of the well-being of others, that we may seek to create a world and a community that is welcoming to all. We are grateful for those who continuously work every day to build that kingdom and to prepare a church and a world that our Savior can receive. And we love thee and we ask these things according to thy will and our faith and our work in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Melody. I just feel really grateful right now to see a few familiar faces on the screen. This feels a little bit more intimidating than I anticipated, but I'm especially grateful for Melody to be here. She's one of my good friends and um, I miss her around in Utah, although she's good where she's at. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be talking about this, um, these few chapters. Um, I struggled preparing this <laughs> for today and I went through different stages. The first one being I read the chapters and thought, mm, I don't like these and I stopped thinking about them for, for a little bit then went back to them and had a lot of reactions um, and then started kind of getting um, nervous about talking about them. And I'll say more about this in a few minutes, but um, before, we, before we jump in, and I hope we can have a little bit of a discussion as we go, um, I wanted to invite all of us to kind of assess where we're at right now and how we're feeling whether it's in regards of the chapters we're gonna talk about today, or it's been a heavy year. Um, we have a pretty high stake, pretty high stake election coming up. Um, and so I know that a lot of us feel heavy, um, feel anxious, scared. And so I wanted to invite all of us to take a moment to take a deep breath kind of assess where we're at, how we're feeling, and um, what we need from today. Um, and so maybe take a moment to, um, to kind of try to identify, is this kind of what these chapters, if you were able to read them, um, 
beforehand what they brought up for you. Um, if you're carrying any tension in your body, if you're carrying any nervousness in your mind, whatever it might be that you're coming in to this discussion with. Um, the reason why I bring this up is because um, there's no way for us to interact with sacred text, no way for us to read uh, scriptures without feeling, uh, having feelings about them. And I think all of us will have experienced a variety of feelings on the spectrum of emotions, right? At times, scriptures bring a lot of joy and comfort and peace. I know I've experienced that personally many times in my life. At other times, we have no idea what we're reading. We feel pretty confused. Um, sometimes scriptures will even bring more questions, uh, more doubts, at times negative reactions, right? And I want us to be able to honor, um, to honor all of these feelings and experiences that we have with scriptures. Um, the reason for that is because um, our emotions, uh, carry important information about the world. Um, and so um, I, wanna, I wanna be mindful of that and kind of try to learn from the reactions that we have um, from our scriptures. So I wanna give you a moment to think about this, what these chapters brought up for you, what you're coming into this discussion with today. Um, and if you feel comfortable sharing uh, some of your reactions, feel, please feel free to do so in the chat. Um, even for the people who are present on the panel to go ahead and share if you feel comfortable doing so. But while you're thinking about this, um, I kind of wanna offer a little bit of a framework, framework for this request that I'm making of all of us in this moment. Um, so as uh, here, I'm kind of thinking through my psychologist self about our emotions informing our experience. And often a lot of us spend time running away from our emotions um, because we're so busy, there's so much going on that we get kind of overloaded, right? And so um, by kind of not listening to what our emotions are telling us, we're missing some information about our world. So really one of the purposes of our emotions is to communicate uh, information about the environment around us. So for example, when we fe feel fear, uh, we are our bodies and minds are reacting in a way that's preparing us to respond to something that we perceive as a stressor or a threat. Um, and so what do we feel when we read scriptures, when we read, uh, what we feel when we read scriptures and sacred texts in general is uh, informing uh, maybe a mean of communication with the divine, right? What, what is the divine communicating to me through my reactions? Uh, what am I missing about, uh, about what's happening around me? What can I learn from my reaction to what I'm reading? Um, and so I wanna, I wanna spend some time um, uh, thinking about that today. Um, so, um, So kind of like as you're still thinking through this and I'm gonna follow up about this in a moment, um, I, wanna, I wanna kind of, if I'm asking people to share their experience, I wanna be uh, transparent about mine as well. So when I, like I said earlier, when I read the, 
the 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 chapters at first I was like yeah not my favorite part of the book of mormon right like lots of violence um war not a big fan of war um and so i know that i felt a little bit overwhelmed i felt these i read these chapters through a different lens this time they felt a little bit too close to home with some of the things that we've experienced this year. I would say a little bit, I actually, actually should say a lot. Like there's a lot of parallel reactions between Mormon and I, and I'm sure between uh, a lot of you as well. Um, there were, uh, I felt like I was reading about something that was hap that's happening right now in this country, in the world in general, made me feel a little bit of anxiety uh, adding to the anxiety I've been feeling all year, a little bit of dread about what's coming next week. Um, I know um, the more I got into the chapters, the more I found myself looking for a solution, hoping that Mormon would be like, okay, this is how we solved the problem and we lived in peace forever, which I was really disappointed, <laughs> as you can imagine that it ended like the opposite of what I was hoping for. Um, and so, yeah, that's why it took me a while to kind of get into the chapter, feeling overwhelmed, feeling that anxiety coming back, being really activated, um, feeling like at the same time of all of these, I felt a little bit validated. Okay, this is something that I can learn from, something that my experience is valid, my reactions to what I'm witnessing in the world right now is valid. So I'm kind of curious, and I don't know, Rebecca, if there's any thoughts in the chat or if anyone present on the panel wants to jump in and share their experience with those chapters as well. Go off mute. I, I, good morning. I, I'll share my own reaction. I'm just still watching for other people's comments here. Um, well, no, one, one comment is amazing that a teenager is the most spiritually mature person among the entire nation, 15 years old, called to lead about the age of Joseph. That's a comment um, from Bob Reese, actually. Uh, my, own, my own reaction, so I'll jump in here, is one of despair. I mean, I have the reaction that it feels like... They did everything they could. Like there was a lot of effort, uh, including, including Christ appearing, uh, Christ being there in person, and still killed each other. I, I mean, and and so I come away with a feeling of despair. And another, another is a feeling that we read. The, this is a, a a community feeling that we read the Book of Mormon in different ways, and that this whole section um, makes the Book of Mormon to me a story of um, what doesn't work or what didn't work. It's a, a story of failure and that and we want to read a triumphalist story. We want to read the story of success and it, it's not there and that's actually leads to some conflicting kind of conversations with fellow members in a Sunday school class. What what are we getting here? We, we want something different than we got. Yeah, another comment along those lines, um, you know, Mormon one through six is about living in chaos, managing life when nothing uh, is for sure. 
Uh, another attendee says, uh, I shifted from the literal to the symbolic. Uh, it is a message that racism and ethnic superiority will not be tolerated, that the oppressed of our day will sweep away the oppressors. Yeah, I like that thought. I also would invite anyone who is not actively oppressed to participate in sweeping away the oppressors, right? Like this can't just be the work of the oppressed. How exhausting would that be? And, um, but I, I love thinking about it this way. It feels really empowering. Um, just to kind of provide some context, um, about about what's going on in the chapters, right? Let me share my screen real quick here. Oops. Just a second. Okay. There we go. So the this is one of uh, this is um, a quote from uh, verse thirteen in chapter one. Wickedness did prevail upon the face of the whole land. And uh, so I read the chapters a few times in English. I was like, really, it's harder to read scriptures in a language that's not your um, native language, I think for me. So then I went to them in French, which provided a little bit more um, light in understanding them. But the word wickedness in French, like it literally has, like it's almost, it's pretty much the same word as mean. Well, it's mean, like it's, People are mean, like uh, it's kind of how I'm understanding what's going on uh, in those chapters based on the French, French translation of the Book of Mormon. But wickedness did, pre did prevail upon the face of the whole land. Um, and so what we know is going on is there's a lot of violence. We've talked about this, right? To the point, there's even a point where um, the author of the chapters stops writing about the violence because he doesn't want to traumatize future, traumatize future readers, uh, right? Like, uh, so it gets to that point. Um, we know the land is curse, um, cursed. We know that uh, people have to hide their precious possessions from robbers, uh, but they can't even hide them because the land is cursed. Um, and then uh, the chapters keep referring to hearts being hardened. And that's the part I want to spend a little bit more time with. And maybe thinking about ways uh, our hearts are hardened today um, in our current context. Um, but to me, when I think about these chapters, uh, what really stands out is that a lot of the people involved um, turned their hearts away from what God um, asks of us, which is to take care of each other, um, to see each other with compassion and, um, and meet each other where we're at, right? Like, I think there's this piece where there's so much violence and conflict and tension um, that people can't do that anymore. And we see Mormon going through kind of like these different stages of he gets a little hopeful and then um, his, his hope kind of crashes. And, um, and I think a lot of us, again, can relate to that of like holding on to little moments of hope and feeling like those moments kind of slip away from us. And so like, like, I think we've established this clearly here. This is very relatable to what we're witnessing today in the world uh, in general. Um, 
Um, and so I want to spend some time talking about this and about, um, about what it means for us uh, to witness hearts being hardened in ourselves, because we're not immune from that, uh, and in the people around us. Um, and so some of the things that have come to mind for me, um, as I've been uh, kind of watching what's happening this year, um, is how the little things, things that seem very small, actually have an eternal impact on the people around us, right? I'm thinking about the way people around me reacted to the death of the murder of George Floyd um, earlier this year. Um, I think hearts being hardened involves denying people their basic humanity, knowing that no matter what your background, criminal background, you don't deserve to die. No one deserves to die in the way uh, he was killed. Um, I think hearts being hardened also means looking for that criminal background, possible criminal background, uh, when we hear about the death of a Black person. Um, hearts being hardened means not paying attention to how simple behaviors impact the well-being of people around us. Um, it's, I think, hearts being hardened looks like um, um, kind of getting set in our own ways and losing our willingness to look at things from other people's perspective, listening to their experience, to how they might experience the world in a different way um, than we do. Um, and I think the list goes on. Hearts being hardened means dismissing the concerns of marginalized people around us, right? Um, expect, expecting them to get over it and, and um, being more upset at them for holding institutions accountable than being upset at institutions uh, for perpetrating oppression. I think hearts being hardened is all of that and so many more things, right? Um, to me, it feels like it all comes down to um, we stop uh, feeling compassion for each other. We stop um, listening to each other. I think a lot of what's asked for us as for um, asked of those that identify as disciples of Christ is to listen to each other um, and serve each other based on what we hear um, others needing. Um, and so, uh, so we're witnessing this whole, like kind of like Mormon is watching the world around him fall apart because people's hearts are hardened. Um, and I know I joke about this all the time, but also I'm kind of serious about it. It's like, I'm always joking about, I feel like my world is falling apart. Um, I feel like the things that I've known are either um, finally being talked about. For example, this year we see all of these people suddenly being invested in talking about racism. Hopefully the conversations continue, but also things that feel, felt safe for me um, growing up haven't felt safe this year anymore, right? Not being able to travel, not being able to see family. Um, and so I felt many times this year um, that my world was falling apart. Um, and it, in that way, I related very much to Mormon's uh, words in these chapters. 
Um, but I want to spend a few more time, a, a few more minutes talking about this uh, quote from a verse uh, uh, in chapter two, where uh, it says, for behold, a continual scene of wickedness and abominations has been before mine eyes ever since I have been sufficient to behold the ways of men. Um, this is really standing out to me because we know, like we get to know our uh, narrator when he's really young and we know that throughout his life, this is what he's witnessing, a world of wickedness and abomination, a world where people are literally killing each other. Um, so much violence, right? I can't even imagine uh, the trauma um, he was experiencing, witnessing all of this, right? This really hit home for me because this is something I've been thinking a lot about this year. Um, so I have a little boy, he's 15 months old. Uh, he's my first child. Uh, he was born last summer um, and uh, he's awesome. Of course I'm biased, but I think he is pretty cool kid. Um, but uh, so his name is Zion and one of the reasons why we settled on that name was because of what it means right like a place that is just a place where there's peace compassion love a place where God is present um, part of the reason why we chose this name is because this is what we're hoping for him uh, but the other thing that is that we're hoping for him is that he'll he'll be an agent of change in terms of bringing that to the world, right? Bringing peace, bringing uh, justice, compassion. But I know that uh, this scripture really resonated with me because when I was pregnant, I had a lot of anxiety about bringing a new life into this messy, messy place we're in. I felt really anxious about this. And every time I told people about this, I was met with, it's okay, it will be okay. The world is a beautiful place. And I was not convinced that <laughs> I, I'm not the most optimistic person out there, but also uh, 2020 happened, right? <laughs> like 2020 happened and really um, many of the things I personally feared the most were like right in front of me. And it blew my mind that this was the first year uh, of my son's life. And this is what is happening, right? Um, and so I'm grateful to have a partner that's like a lot more hopeful than I am about those things and kept reminding me that this is an opportunity to create something better um, for people that come after us, right? And so this verse here, this reflection that is shared with us in this verse is really an invitation for all of us to think about this is not just about us, right? This is about everyone that's gonna come after us. The decisions we make today, the way we, the way we interact with the world today and what's happening around us, this is about people that come after us too. Um, and I also wanna invite the perspective that this is also about people that came before us people that sacrificed a lot for us and people who modeled how to deal with what we're seeing right now. Um, and I think a way to honor uh, people is to, um, is to do our best to, um, to respond to the crisis we're seeing around us with compassion and 
really will a willingness to engage in difficult conversations, stay engaged in what's happening to create change um, in a positive way. Um, so, so yeah, this is kind of uh, what this verse brought up for me. Um, I've been thinking a lot and I think as, so I attended a psychology conference uh, over the summer where they talked about what we're witnessing this year as um, collective trauma. Um, so this is a particularly difficult year because there's multiple traumatic things happening at once, but also some of them are repeating themselves over and over again, which is kind of exhausting our ability to cope, our ability to take care of ourselves, our ability to stay present. Like literally we're over flooded with uh, traumatic experiences. Um, I think we can talk about COVID, right? And the isolation and all the ways we had to change um, our lives this year, but also about what we're witnessing in terms of uh, civil rights activism, in terms of police brutality. Uh, all of those things are impacting um, our mental health, um, our well, our emotional and spiritual well-being. I think those are very connected. Um, and so, um, again, I see this invitation as this as an invitation to think about what we're leaving behind for the people um, who come um, after us. Um, so. Part of the invitations I'm seeing in this uh, in these chapters, and this is one of the ways I love interacting with the scriptures, is by seeing what I'm invited to do, invited to reconsider, invited to change in my own heart, um, in my own life, uh, in the way I interact with people around me. Um, and so, um, there's this chapter. After in the very in this verse in the very first chapter that I felt so much uh, gratitude for reading it and uh, being able to go back to it as I was reading through um, the rest of the um, chapters. But um, let's see what the verse is saying is, and I being fifteen years of age uh, and being somewhat of a sub sober mind. Um, therefore, I was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. Um, so this is the last part of this verse is what I want to um, maybe spend the rest of our time together thinking about. Tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. Um, what is the goodness of Jesus? And this is a question I would love to hear people's uh, perspectives on. Um, and so. Um, so while you're thinking about this, and again, if you feel comfortable sharing in the chat what this means to you, I think I would love to have a discussion about this. What is the goodness of Jesus? Um, while you're thinking about this, I wanna share what comes to my mind when I think about the goodness of Jesus. Um, I think about one story in particular in Jesus's life that I think really represents Jesus. Like when I think about this story, I find so much comfort. And I see again, such an invitation to do something different in my own life. So I think about the woman with the issue of blood in the New Testament. 
we don't know her name, like many women uh, in the scriptures, we don't know her name. I wish we did. I wish, um, I wish we knew more about her story. But based on what we know, uh, this, these are some of the assumptions that I've read uh, Bible scholars uh, make about her. So we know that she was most likely suffering with menstrual or postpartum bleeding that's like exacerbated by health problems. Uh, I can only imagine how painful um, and uncomfortable her life was because of what um, her health problems. We know she had been sick, sick for 12 years she was probably like physically exhausted, probably emotionally exhausted. Uh, we knew, so I'm basing this on Mark chapter five. We know in verse 26, we learned that she's visited with many physicians, um, that she spent all that she had on trying to find a solution for um, her bleeding and that we, we know that it kept getting worse. Um, so this is kind of what we know about her. Now, some of the things that scholars have um, added to her background to help us understand, I think, um, how much of an urgency there probably was for her to figure this out and be healed. So uh, she was considered unclean for as long as her bleeding lasted. And so we know that she, um, this included, uh, if she touched something, it was also perceived as unclean. Um, and so she probably lost a lot. She probably lost her family. Um, she was really marginalized, uh, probably one of the most marginalized people um, in her community. Uh, we can assume that people didn't want to have anything to do with her, wanting to keep their distance, all of that, right? Um, so we can only imagine the isolation and the pain um, she was experiencing. And yet uh, she took a huge risk, right? She, she showed up in this crowd. Uh, Jesus was there and she, was, she had faith that he was going to heal her if she could just touch his clothes. And so she showed up um, and uh, she put herself in a vulnerable position. I'm guessing a lot of people who knew who she was. Uh, and so she was in this crowd. Um, and reached out um, and just touched his clothes, right? And a lot of us, like we've been in crowds before and it, there's so much going on that it's like so hard to notice what's happening around us. Um, so I'm guessing that if someone touched my shirt while I was in a crowd, I would not really give much thought to it. But Jesus noticed, he noticed that something happened, he felt it. And so he paused and he asked about it. And his apostles were like, dude, we're in a crowd, right? Like, I don't know, there's a lot of people going on. I don't know what you're asking us to notice, right? But yet he paused and took time to find her and figure out what was going on. Um, and so she was scared. Like the scripture said, she was fearing and trembling. Um, and I'm guessing that she was scared of what he was gonna say. Was he gonna be upset with her? Um, was he gonna like ask her to leave? Um, but all he did was to tell her to go in peace, right? So he took the time to notice her in a crowd. He took the time to pause, to look for her. He took the time to meet her where she was at, to hear her. And he told her to go in peace. 
Uh, that's Jesus to me. That's what he does with each of us. That's his goodness, right? So I'm curious now, and I'll stop sharing my screen here for a moment. Uh, I'm curious about uh, some of the things that were shared about this. Yeah, first I just want to say, Louise, I'm so moved by, by thinking about the way that you're thinking about this. Um, and that it really brings out that it can be a risk to know and experience the goodness of Christ. Uh, and, that, um, and that it's a deeply intimate experience um, that he, uh, you know, he felt her and that, you know, a kind of deeply intimate relationship. I'm just really struck by folks are talking about um, the goodness of Christ as leaving a better world behind, uh, the direct experience of his pure love, uh, that it's really about forgiveness, both that we experience ourselves and experiencing the grace that allows us to forgive others, that that is uh, the experience of the goodness of Christ, um, that it's constant, that it's a collaborative experience, uh, that the goodness of Christ is about transformation and about community. Um, so those are a number of things. I don't know if there's something there you wanna speak on and then more thoughts are, are coming in. Okay, yeah, I love the idea of the goodness of Christ being community, especially right now, right? Um, I think that's such a beautiful thought. Um, yeah, I think we find, I know I find Christ in community, in people that show up for me, with me, uh, along with me, right? Like I think community is such a beautiful thing. So I love that. Oh, you're muted, Christian. Oh, okay. There it is. There's an interesting question that comes up with the idea of forgiveness, and I suppose can be connected with forming community. That is the idea of um, reciprocity or of earning or of a transactional form of, of forgiveness and forgiving. Um, do we forgive if we don't have any reason to expect change or to expect anything in return? Um, does Christ forgive if we, uh, does the atonement work in, in, in a case where we're not, uh, we're not participating in the process, we're not giving of ourselves? I, that's a different ways to say it, but they're, um, yeah. it's an interesting, challenging question. Let me put it from the group to you. <laughs> Um, whew, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I wrestle with that question quite often, right? Like, but I do think, um, like we see in those, the chapters uh, for today that there's this call for repentance um, brought up over and over and over again. Um, and so I think the goodness of Jesus also is the fact that he gives us so many opportunities to grow. And he puts us, we find ourselves in situations where we have to be stretched to grow. And of course, we're going to mess up. And yet his hands, its hand is always extended to us to try again, right? And make it up to ourselves and to people around us. 
So when I think about the goodness of Jesus in the context, context of repentance, that's what comes to mind for me. Then in terms of forgiveness, um, I think we can taste a little bit of that when we're able to forgive. And forgiveness is such a hard concept, right? <laughs> and I don't know how to, yeah, I'm not sure if you have thoughts about it, but I, I, I mean, if I could react, I, I mean, I'm reacting for myself, I suppose, because I was listening and not keeping up with the chat. But, it, but I, li I like the idea of uh, kind of squaring the circle about a, 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 a transactional form, squaring the circle by saying, yes, there needs to be repentance, there needs to be action. But the answer to the freely given is the 70 times seven kind of answer. It is over and over and over unlimited number of tries. Uh, I, I, I hear that as you're, you're squaring the circle and I like that answer. That's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, I think the goodness of Jesus, also I saw in the chat that someone, um, quoted the scripture where in uh, Corinthians, where we learn my grace is sufficient to the, uh, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's one of my favorite scriptures um, because I think there's no coincidence that Jesus was born in the context he was born in, right? Um, in a group that was oppressed, a group that um, I think the fact that he spent so much time with people who were perceived as the lowest of the low in society, right? And the fact that the woman with the issue of blood, it wasn't like her blood, like she was perceived as unclean, right? Because of cultural norms and uh, societal norms of the time. And he didn't really care about that. Um, he met her where she was at. Uh, and I think that's also the goodness of Jesus, right? That he, he meets us in like our lowest of the low moments of lives, right? And the, um, like his life is a demonstration of um, how we can experience God's grace and love when we feel like we deserve it the least. When people around us make us feel like we don't deserve it, make us feel like we shouldn't be a part of whatever else, whatever um, is the norm at the time, right? Like that's his goodness is that he meets us there and walks with us in those moments. Um, I, like I, I, I've heard people describe um, like Jesus physically being present with us in those moments of oppression. I, I love to think of Christ as marching with people who march for freedom and for um, justice. I love to think about Jesus sitting on the hospital bed by the people who are struggling with COVID and got us, got it because others around them didn't care as much, right? Like, I think that's his goodness is that that's where he's at in those moments of suffering, these moments of weakness, these moments of pain. Of oppression. Can I add something to that, Luis? <laughs> yeah, um, perfect that you said that because I was gonna say something very similar to that. Um, as we've been talking, um, I think one of my absolute favorite stories um, 
in the New Testament of Christ um, is in John 20. And it's such a very quick, small instance that you can just read this and just fly right over it. But I guess, um, like you were talking about COVID isolation, um, this world just feels like it's crashing down on us and just living in constant fear and anxiety, um, experiencing a world that we've never experienced before, um, experiencing circumstances that we've never experienced before. Um, so in John 20, um, verses 19 to 22. So the Lord has been killed um, and he, he he hasn't been resurrected yet, or there's been some talk that he's been resurrected, but the apostles haven't seen him. And so the apostles are in their house. Um, and I love, it says that they're in their house assembled for fear of the Jews, right? So they're this very marginalized group who followed a savior that um, challenged <laughs> um, a very, traditional way of practicing um, religiosity, spirituality. Um, they are on the fringe of society. Um, the people that he teaches, the people that they taught, um, they are feeling the consequence of that, right? And so they're in their house. I can just imagine them because this is me when I'm reading the scripture, they're in their house and they're terrified of a world that just crucified their savior. They're terrified of experiencing um, a spiritual journey that has never happened before, right? Christ has never come before. Christ has never been um, lynched before. Christ has never been resurrected. They can only hope that those things will happen. Um, and in their fear, in their anxiety, in their just being terrified of not being able to even leave the house. Um, it says that Jesus came and he stood in the midst of them and he said unto them, to them, peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed unto them his hands and his sides. And when the disciples saw this, they were glad. Um, and that is, just seems so sacred to me that Jesus Christ, um, he offers them peace, but he also sits with them in their grief. He sits with them in their anxiety and their fear. And he says, feel my body. Like my body is a physical manifestation of your fear. Like I know fear, I know pain, I know grief because I literally just experienced it a day or two before. Um, and then he says that there is peace. And so, um, and then there's like the really funny verse where he's like, he breathes on them and gives them the Holy Ghost, which is like really funny in our COVID 2020 time that that's how you receive the spirit is by, by breath. Um, but I think that's so beautiful and so representative of at least the savior that I worship, that Christ comes to us and Christ offers the peace that he knows that will mean the most to us. Christ sits with, sits with us in whatever emotions that we are experiencing, experiencing whether it be um, terror, whether it be fear, as I'm sure Mormon was feeling when he's writing this record, um, whether it be um, anxiety, whether it be isolation, being rejected. Um, and he tells us to fill up his body and so, I am grateful for a savior that visits us in our um, 
assembling for fear of the Jews, for fear of whatever may be hiding outside of our doors that feel threatening to us, um, threatening to our eternities, threatening to our very literal lives right now. I am grateful for a savior that comes and offers us peace amidst so much chaos, amidst so much turmoil in the world, um, for a savior that gives us of the Holy Ghost that allows us to experience peace even when he's not physically there with us. Um, I know that Jesus Christ is a very personal savior that I'm grateful for the life that Christ lived because Christ lived so many different lives and all of those lives, all of our lives are encompassed in the different lives that Christ lived. And that when we um, turn to our savior, when we are in these moments of just, ah, I don't know, just, just chaos that Christ comes to us and he visits us um, and he allows us to feel that peace that we may not feel outside of our doors. Wow, thank you, Mel, for sharing that. That's such a beautiful perspective. I love the idea of a savior who's personal, a savior who sits with us in our pain and doesn't ask us to explain it or justify it. He's just there with us. That's so beautiful, thank you. Um, I'm also thinking of the savior as someone who calls us to action, right? But he really, another thing about his goodness is what he modeled for us in his life. Like he modeled standing up for what is right. He modeled protecting people around him who were more vulnerable. He modeled like saying hard things. Like he said really hard things <laughs> um, in, his, in his own way. And, um, and I know he's probably said hard things to me in his own way, right? Like called me to repentance and all that. But um, I love that. It makes me think of, um, I reread over the summer at the fire next time by James Baldwin who is one of my personal heroes, um, him and Maya Angelou. I don't know, like someday I just want to sit at a table in the afterlife with them and just have like, a, just listen to them, right? But he said that if the concept of God uh, doesn't make us larger, freer, uh, and more loving, then we need to get rid of it. Like that's what he said. And I think what I'm hearing in it is if, if that's not what we're getting from our faith, we need to do something different, right? Like we need to try to hear differently um, to be larger, freer, uh, more loving. Um, so I really think that's what Christ modeled for us all. So um, I don't know if there's anything else, uh, Rebecca, in the chat or any other thought that would be helpful to address. Yeah, so uh, I think Melody, um, you know, really beautifully um, captured some of the thoughts that are floating around on chat as well. Um, so Jody shared um, that the most effective suicide prevention um, isn't convincing someone, but rather just seeing the hurt and the suffering and sitting with those who, who mourn, um, that it's not about trying to fix anybody just being with. Um, and it's the open heart that um, melts and impacts the, the despair, the actual kind of oneness is what the goodness of the savior is. 
um, there was also another um, lovely thought about how, uh, you know, the society told the woman uh, with the issue of blood that, um, that she was unclean, right? Um, but Christ uh, takes that and, um, and he doesn't become unclean, right? From his interaction with her. Instead, he takes uh, that, he takes our questions, he takes our behaviors, he takes our struggles, which others might say make us unclean. Uh, and he engages with those. Um, he, uh, he engages with our lives, even as they are broken, messy, unclean. This is the goodness of Christ. I love those perspectives. Um, yeah, so anyways, this is kind of what came up for me as I read those chapters. Um, really, uh, this felt like a kind of like a renewed experience for me in terms of um, reflecting on the words of Mormon and seeing the seeing them through the uh, light of a new invitation, right? Like where where can I find the goodness of Jesus right now amidst the chaos we're witnessing? Um, and then how can I be um, a tool to sharing that goodness, right? In terms of providing support, uh, listening, um, showing compassion to those around me, sitting with them in their pain, um, not necessarily offering a solution. I don't know if I have solutions uh, for people's pain, but um, just being there with them, um, um, just thinking about how faith uh, invites us to look at the world through this hopeful lens, right? And but I'm not talking about hope in terms of like kind of like wishful thinking that things will get better, but this active, um, I don't know, when I think about hope, I think about, I recently actually recently started reading uh, Coretta Scott's, Scott King's uh, autobiography, right? And that's kind of what she's saying. They, they were hoping for something better, um, but it wasn't just wishful thinking. It was, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna do whatever we can to make it happen. Um, for so many of them, it cost their lives, right? And that includes her husband. And they still went out there and did it because that's how much faith in it they had. So I guess that's what I find myself as we're contemplating what might happen on Tuesday, <laughs> contemplating uh, what might happen with COVID. Uh, that's kind of what I find myself hoping right now in, the, in this moment that we'll go out there and show up for each other the same way uh, Christ shows up for us with compassion, patience, love, willingness to give each other second chances, taking risks and all of that. So those are kind of my thoughts here about these things. Great, thank you. Um, so I mean, this lesson really beautifully kind of explores how this question of how do we interact um, with a fallen with and in a fallen world and the temptation right is to withdraw um, and we see Mormon wanting to do that mm -hmm. uh, but then getting pulled back in right um, and the message seems to really be that engagement as one of our uh, attendees uh, um, 
rights, uh, engagement is required. Um, but that's what's, that's what's required of us. Um, someone else brought out kind of the most tragic phrase in all of these scriptures is, is I saw that the day of grace was passed with them both temporarily and spiritually. Um, and then how do you kind of still maintain, you know, the hope? Um, uh, oh, yeah, I remember reading that sentence and feeling like, yikes, <laughs> this is not good. Uh, but I kind of wanted to add the perspective that we're hearing about, um, like, Mormon is talking about everyone as a group, right? And I'm going to take the wild guess that there are many people, there were many people that um, held on and held on to their values and beliefs and um, did what they believe was just and right. And, um, and so I'm guessing that, at least to me, one of the way to like remember that um, things continue and will continue moving forward is knowing that before me, even things when things were way worse than what I'm experiencing for some, there were still people fighting every day, right? And I think those are the people that maintain that grace among us. Yeah, there's a comment here that says, um, John Lewis talked about living and acting as if the community of the beloved were already in place. Uh, he looked his violent perpetrators in the eye and never lost track of their humanity. Um, I love that. Yeah. I'm struck. <clears throat> I'm struck by a couple of comments. Uh, one, the wound is where the light enters you. And another, um, goodness of Jesus is the direct experience of his pure love. And what those two comments lead me to reflect on in this context is that the, we have, on the one hand, a story of mass movements of armies, in effect, um, killing each other. And on the other hand, a, an image of Christ dealing with an individual, one at a time, being present. And that... Um, maybe, maybe the... Uh, maybe the uh, the goodness of Christ is telling us, is, is indicating that one-on-one -on -one personal involvement um, as opposed to mass movement. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic in a time when we're, when we're voting, I guess. We're, 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 we're moving as a large group in that sense. Yeah, I think this is, an interesting thought for me because I think Christ shows up one-on-one, -on -one, right? Like, I think that's very true. And I think he also shows up in the masses, right? So um, how he does that, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> like, there's many ways that I wish I knew what Jesus does and why he does it, but I'm not at that level yet, maybe someday. But um, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, in the chat, Melody saying Christ is a social Christ. I wonder, Melody, if you would feel comfortable elaborating on that. Yeah, I just, one of my uh, favorite quotes by MLK um, is, is 
is he saying that like the basis for his activism is the life of Christ, right? Christ values the well-being of the entire group. Um, and when I say that Christ is the individual Christ, I, I do believe that Christ um, meets us on an individual level, but I also believe that Christ um, is so deeply invested in the well-being of everyone. Um, and so I do believe, I personally believe along with MLK that Christ, the gospel is social as well as personal because um, people are connected and we don't just live individual lives. We are all connected through our experiences. And especially us as, as someone, as people who have, an, like our theology as LDS people is very based in community and very based in the social, right? When we think of the kingdom of God, or we think of um, the celestial kingdom, or we think of Zion, right? It's all based in um, community, whether it be families, whether it be, um, you know, Zion. So I do believe that Christ um, is a social Christ because we um, are all children of God and Christ and our heavenly parents um, desire all of our well-beings and not just individual people. And so maybe I'm not really understanding the question, but Christ's individual is personal as well as um, he is social. Yeah, and that reminds me of a comment that came across earlier um, that um, somebody was thinking about the contrast with the city of Enoch with the return to tribalism that we see here, right? And both are about, you know, not just the impact on the individual level, but on the social level. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, th this is a this is a frequent conversation or discussion. It's it's possible to talk about, and I and I I'm putting. I guess you ask, what is the question? It is possible to talk about the gospel, talk about Christ's work with us as an individual salvation, as a way to get to heaven in and or to the celestial kingdom. Um, it is also possible, and we also talk about. Christ work with us as building Zion in this earth, in this time frame. And both of those discussions happen. I think that's the context in which Melody is, it was just saying, Christ is both, is doing both. And I, I mean, I, I would draw you out more, but I think that's, that is the conversation is that is that Christ is, is works with us in both respects. And just like, add, sorry, yeah, like one of I think one of our most beautiful theologies is that we learn in DNC that they with the without us aren't like we can't we our salvation literally in our theology isn't conceivable without the community like we without them they without us there is no salvation and so all of at least for me all of my social justice work is rooted in that idea that salvation is rooted in the community and the well-being of the community and until we figure that out we cannot have a life or a church or a world that is ready for christ to receive because that that is one of the 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 basic tenets of our theology that we need each other to be saved yeah amen to that for sure and i just wanted to read this quote by uh, dr king where he said 
So talking about the cross as a symbol of um, redemption, right? Like redemption through Christ's um, suffering. He says, there are some who still find the cross a stumbling block and others consider it foolishness, but I am more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. Um, that I love this idea that the sacrifice, like the, the atonement of Christ and what his sacrifice represents where um, both for our individual salvation, but also our collective and social salvation too. Yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking of, you know, the two great commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor. <laughs> you know, you can't love God without loving your neighbor and having this social community, um, seeing the humanity in each other. Uh, I love this thought from, from Jody. England Hansen, um, Christ comes to us one by one, knows each of us by name and heart, yet we practice being Christ in community, in the confronting place of loving one another in our unique, sometimes dangerous differences. That is how Christ shows up for me in the masses, learning to be, to love in the great diversity of all beings as we are called to be one. Love that. All right, well, we've had just um, a lovely, enriching um, experience with the spirit and with the heart and with the mind today. Thank you so much, Louise, uh, for your beautiful lesson and, and Melody and, and folks on chat and Facebook as well. We'll close today with a prayer which will be offered by Dr. Leslie Hadfield and hope you will join us next week when Kylie Nielsen Turley uh, teaches us. Please also keep our upcoming fireside on your radar. Uh, number two in our new series that Thomas Griffith uh, launched for us last week will feature Dr. Claudia Bushman and is scheduled for November 15th. Dr. Hadfield was born and bred in Cache Valley, Utah. A study abroad program to South Africa changed her life course. She ended up doing a PhD in African history at Michigan State University, after which she was hired at BYU and Provo, where she is also the coordinator for the Africana Studies program. She studies black liberation movements in South Africa, South African medical and nursing history and the history of guides and, and porters who work on Mount Kilimanjaro. She attends the Swahili speaking branch of the church in Salt Lake and is part of the, the Nagoma Yafrika Cultural Center. She, Louise, and I have um, been lucky to be part of a team taught civil rights course at BYU in which we've been privileged to learn from and alongside Melody and other amazing students uh, over the last number of years. Okay. Dear God, we are so grateful for this opportunity to share and teach and learn from one another. We're grateful for Louise and all of her preparation and all those who participated and shared to enlighten us and take us to a higher level. We are most grateful for the Son, Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice uh, for all of us, for his atonement and resurrection. Please bless us that we will have, um, bless us with softened hearts uh, bless us with um, that we may taste and know of the goodness of Jesus. Uh, please bless our uh, nation, uh, the United States, that through this next week, um, 
please um, guide us in, in whatever um, we have to face and we ask for peace and uh, we ask thee to uh, help us as individuals to know what thou wouldst have us do in our own situations. Bless those who are suffering um, in various ways, especially those um, connected to uh, COVID and other natural disasters or other personal challenges um, that are heavy at this time. And we ask thee to uh, help us to um, spread thy love. And uh, we love thee and we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.